Hello, welcome to episode 11 of Your Brain on God. God, 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 God. In today's episode, we are in part three of our fear series. And what are we talking about today, Aaron? We're going to be talking about shame. We're talking about shame. What is shame? The way shame affects our lives and our relationships. And also some ways vulnerability is required in order for us to step into deeper connection with others. Amen. Amen. So, sit back, listen in, relax, get some popcorn, and enjoy the episode. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to your brain. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Episode 11. Come on now, everybody. Welcome to episode 11 of Your Brain On. God, 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 God. God, God. My goodness, we are excited to be with you. Excited to be little dolphins in the... Dolphins in the great wide... In the vastness of the ocean. I will tell you something. Ocean of life. I will tell you something. I admire the ocean more than I do the galaxy. I'm Mm. just going to be honest. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what it is. I always felt mad at myself because when I looked at the stars, I didn't really care. (laughs) You felt mad at yourself (laughs) because you didn't care about the stars. I I didn't care about the stars. Like, uh, everyone seemed to just be like, oh, stars. I'd be like, they're just dots. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. I love this. I love looking at stars and space and the galaxy. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I get amazed often thinking about how, well, just how big everything is, how much space, and then also just about space itself, like the space between the stuff. Mm-hmm. because it's nothing right it's so interesting yeah have you like um have you heard like i think it's like quantum physicists that talk about just basically the entire universe even like matter is just nothing <laughs> even matter is nothing <laughs> nothing matters <laughs> which all means which that nothing, nothing matters. matters no 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 because even in an atom most of an atom that makes up things is all oh, empty right, space right, right yeah right so you have like your your i guess your nucleus and then your protons your electrons and all those spinner like but incredibly. there's all the space around them but in there's comparison all to how much stuff they actually take up right 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 yeah, yeah. so the actual oh, right, right. okay there is more there is more space than actual stuff oh for sure in our universe like of everything that's made up in this oh, table, yeah, even yeah. it being solid, there is more space in this table than there is solid matter. So you're saying there's more space <laughs> in the table than there is table in the space. Exactly. There is yes, there is more there is more of nothing than there is of, of something, something in this table that we are sitting at right now. So isn't that fascinating? Now think about that in the galaxy. Yes, yes. We were just talking about before we even started recording, like the actually of space. What happens when you when you would go into space and then I guess your breath would be sucked out of you and you would just freeze. Yeah, because it's nothing. It's a there's nothing. Like you can't. No sound will be traveling because sound travels on air. You can't hear anything out there. It's right. Just silence because there's nothing to carry the sound, which is crazy. You know? And there's nothing to carry heat. Or whatever, you know? So everything, it's just, it just, it's gone. Right. My friend, uh, I think it was like last week, a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about being in space and he was talking about how <laughs> terrible it would be to die in space because 
you would just be filled with the void. That's what he said. <laughs> filled with the void. Because you would essentially be filled with nothing. Because everything that's inside of you is going to be sucked out of you by space. Jeez. Your lungs will be filled with the void. And it's just... It's just over for you. It's over. I don't even know what would happen. Yeah, I really don't know what would supernovas happen. Supernovas are really cool. I love the idea of supernovas. Supernovas are so big that they collapse on themselves and then they explode. What the heck is that, dude? You know what I mean? they Because they get so big, they get uh, not necessarily the size, but it's the gravity. They start generating so much gravity that they implode. <laughs> and when when they're big enough, Im- when a nova, whenever it implodes strong enough <laughs> it explodes supernova Ain't no nova strong enough a regular nova usually becomes a dwarf star so it'll, it'll shrink and then it'll become like a a little star a little star but a supernova will shrink implode and then explode i want Stardust. that to happen to my body <laughs> dude if In there what way? if there is a way to go it is for me to implode on implode. myself, to have so much gravitational pull around my body mm. because I am <laughs> such a force in the world with the Holy Spirit that I eventually implode and explode. You but want to implode and explode. I thought you, you could. I thought that's what a supernova did. It only well, supernova did. Yeah, but you, it could. And a star could just implode. That's what I'm saying. I want a supernova. I want to implode and then explode over the world. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if that actually happened to you, how much force you would be, how much force would exert from where you were. (laughs) Because you won't be there anymore, if we're honest. Yeah. if you, like, create a crater or something. Yeah. Because that would be a lot. Well, my spirit would go up, is what I'm thinking. And you'd watch it happen. And I would watch my, I would watch my body go. (laughs) Oh, my. And I would explode, preferably in front of my family. You got a twisted mind. No, oh, but twisted okay. Mind, yeah. I watched uh, this movie, Peanut Butter Falcon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Peanut yeah, Butter maybe. Falcon, and uh, he's like, he. It's about this. It's Shia LaBeouf, and I don't know who the guy's name is or whatever. But this guy has autism, and he basically finds Shia LaBeouf, and Shia LaBeouf is a crab fisherman, and it's awesome. You should go watch the movie. Definitely in my top five movies of all time now. Actually, hmm. it's a really good movie. Anyway, he like doesn't know how to swim. The autistic kid, so Shia LaBeouf takes him across uh, the water, right. and then uh, he asks Shia. He goes, "Am I gonna die?" And he goes, yeah, yeah, of course you're going to die at some point. It just matters if you have a good enough story to tell when you do. Right. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I love that part, you know? So I figure... That would be a story. I figure if I'm going to go, like, for generations, you know what I mean? I don't know how many. Maybe two generations at least, you know? But if I died... telling your story? If I died in a supernova, I'd be talked about As for, a supernova. As... <laughs> <laughs> if I died as a supernova for generations, I would be talked about. Yeah. Oh, I you'd would be talked about for a while. You'd I'd have a crazy like- legacy of dying, of, of imploding and exploding on the world. And my family would be traumatically messed up. Some serious PTSD. <laughs> 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 that's so funny oh, I'm just, oh it's terrible yeah i'm just trying to think of how that would happen like at a christmas gathering spontaneously <laughs> spontaneously aaron implodes and explodes just eating a cookie having a conversation with somebody <laughs> and then it's just like <laughs> just right in front of them <laughs> honestly anybody that i was around if i exploded on them 
If I exploded on them, they would they would probably die as well. <laughs> they probably would also go. You'd be the man who imploded and exploded on you his know, family. You know, it was cool though. I I guess I'm just gonna talk about movies. But I watched Star Trek two, and they have red matter in Star Trek one. I haven't oh, seen the Star right, Trek right. movies. I just started watching. Yeah. They're really good. And it has red matter, and it mm-hmm. creates black holes. Right. Literally, the red mar- matter falls, and then it basically explodes. And it creates a black hole. It explodes, hole. and then it implodes. Yes. That's a, a black hole, and in, in, in theory, is how they get created. Right. I think it's from supernovas. Mm. An explosion so large that it... I don't even know how it works. It like it opens up so much space that it ha- it closes in on itself. Like, if you have water... I don't know if this is at all true with science. <laughs> <laughs> this is what's happening. But in my talk mind. about it, Daryl. Talk so about this it. Is, I'm, Our this listeners need say. to hear this. So you know how when you have water and you put your hand over water, and you like push down uh-huh. and you create a bunch of space, right? And yeah. then the water comes and closes on itself. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it kind of splashes up. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think whenever a star explodes, <laughs> it happens. That's that that it creates that opening in outer space and then it forces itself on to close. And it Jeez. turns into a black hole. I think I'm pretty sure something like that. <laughs> right, right, right. Is how the theory of black holes. Hey, man, it doesn't matter if it's true, Daryl. It's not. It may or may not be true, but <laughs> hey, go look it up. Honestly, but it sounds good. But it, it definitely sounds good, and it sounded smart to me. Thank you. Sound really smart. Well, welcome to episode uh, 11. 11. 11. Well, we did 10 and a half, so technically that was 11. So this is technically episode 12, but we're going to call it 11. It's, so welcome to episode yeah. 11. It's episode 11, mm-hmm. but it's our 12th episode. Exactly. Yeah. That's a trip. Anyway, it's episode 11, and we uh, wanted to continue our fear series, part three mm-hmm. of Your Brain mm-hmm. on Fear. And uh, today, I, I'm um, really excited to talk about what we're talking about. We're talking about shame today. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a big topic. It's a big topic. And only more recently, actually, I think. We might need Your Brain on Fear, part three, and then make this into two parts. Part three, part one, and part two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because part one, part three A, part three A, You're, and yeah. then part three B. We might have right. to make an entire organizational structure around this because shame is a is a really big topic, and it's a thing um, that is very common to just humans in general. Mm-hmm. The experience mm-hmm. of shame is a common experience to everybody, and it actually. For me, I didn't even think I had shame, and then doing a little bit of of digging probably showed that I had more, way more shame than I thought that I actually had inside myself. Just probably in the mm. last year or so, I was like, "Oh my gosh!" Because I would hear messages, go to church, and people would be like, uh, you, "You know, God frees us from shame," and I'm like, "What's shame?" I'm like, "I don't even think I deal with shame." I don't have shame. That's a good right. point. I think that we can we can be experiencing it and not know that's what that is. Right. Right. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. That's why we got to define shame. So yeah. we want we want to talk about shame because of uh, just the gravity that it has on our lives. Um, I think that shame it, it gives us a uh, a sense of identity based on the experiences that we have uh, in our lives. Oftentimes, those are negative experiences that we build. You know, I mean, uh, identities around ourselves that are, I'm not enough, or I've done Mm. this, or the things that we do become who we are. Mm -hmm. Right. And so oftentimes when we make mistakes, those things end up becoming somewhat attached to our identity and we can live in a sort of 
um, in a shame cycle, you know? Yeah, I think if we were to tie it into fear, so right. in the first part of the series, we talked about fear being a mechanism of protection. Yeah. Right? It's a mechanism of protection, trying to keep us safe. Talked about the bio- the biology, what happens when we're like, when we feel fear in our body and we're mm-hmm. afraid, you know, um, everything goes off inside of like all, all the hormones go out to make us more ready to either act and fight or to f- to run away and flee or just to freeze. Right. And um, all these things change inside of us in order to get us ready to survive yeah. when we feel fear. Right. Right. And shame is fear in a social context. Right. Right. It's not a fear of a physical death necessarily, even though, I mean, in some countries, yes, you could be punished for yeah. doing certain or things in, they would say is shameful. In Japanese cultures, losing, defeat is shameful. Yeah. So they would kill themselves. Right. The right? samurais. Yeah. 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 Um, and it's not necessarily about the physical death now a days mm-hmm. um, so much for us probably, but not in America, at least not in America, at least. Yeah. And a lot of, I, I mean, I don't know any Western culture that the, sh- Oh, I don't know. Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't even comment on that, comment on that, but it's not so much about the physical death, but a social death, mm-hmm. right? A social dying, a, sh- a social pain that right. we're trying to avoid and protect ourselves from which is sometimes worse than physical death it can feel that way right yeah 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 so it's experiencing yeah. you know doing something and then i mean Brene brown says that it's the it's the intense and painful uh emotion emotion right uh about well i'm gonna mess this up she says a f- i mean a few definitions of it, shame. she boils it down to the fear of disconnection or the fear of not being valuable or worthy of love value that's what it is the yeah she says the intense uh the intense emotion of not feeling yeah valuable or worthy of love because and it's because of that disconnection in society right so the 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 separation um i guess that's created when you when you do something that's like it, it creates this whole this whole separation pattern, which yeah. is terrible. Yeah. So I just looked it up real quick. So I define shame as the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing mm. that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of long of love and belonging. Right. So she has that definition of shame. Um, and I think that is a very common experience. Now, if you don't, if you guys don't know Brene Brown, she's, um, kind of been leading the way in a lot of shame research within yeah. society. Um, she's been a researcher for a long time. I don't know how many decades, yeah. but she's been Two at least. researching shame specifically, uh, I think since the early 2000s. Right. Uh, she's written books on it, um, the, ex- the Experience of Shame. Uh, that's not the name of the book, but she's written books on yeah. experience, the experience of shame, the way it looks in our culture, the way it looks in a workplace, mm-hmm. uh, the way that we experience it ourselves. Uh, the first book that I read by her was Darren Greatly. Darren Greatly, yeah. Yeah, and um, she goes through it and talks about how prevalent shame is in society. Right. She didn't... And it wasn't about Western or Eastern or society. It was just society in general. And she was talking about America, mm-hmm. the way that shame shows up in schools, the way shame right. so shows up in families, right. um, in the workplace, how shame has been 
used as a tool to get people to behave a certain way. Kind of like fear, right? Right. Fear can be a tool to motivate people to behave a certain way, Mm -hmm. right? And shame, I think, is a nuance of that. It's a certain type of fear that we are putting into somebody to behave a certain way. Exactly. Yeah, and it's it's it sucks. <laughs> Can I just say that? It yeah, doesn't that. sound very academic, <laughs> I but concur. It, it, but it uh, but it sucks. You know, it's like it's where your flaws. What she said. It's 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 knowing that you're flawed, and then that saying something about you, about right? who you are, about who you are. You are flawed, right? And therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Exactly. Yeah. So so it's different than just um, feeling bad about something. Right. Right. It's, it's different than making a, a bad mistake and being like, ah, I shouldn't have done that. You know what I mean? Right. Let, me, let me go change that. It's when that mistake becomes who you are. Right. So so that thing that you did, that terrible deed, <laughs> that sounds old language, but, you know, that that terrible thing that you did, you become terrible because of the terrible thing that you did. And then you hold yourself accountable. Right. In your in your own self for the mistake that you made. Right. Yeah. We're now, this is who I am. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not just something I did. It is who I am. And I think she draws that distinction between guilt and shame. That guilt is about what you did. I did this thing and it was wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and shame, she will define more as I did this thing and this is who I am. Right. Because I am flawed. Because I I can't do this. I'm not mm-hmm. good enough. Right. You know? um, and I think that the separation between guilt and shame is important to make because uh, the feeling of guilt doesn't have to be accompanied by shame, Mm. right? We can feel guilty about something and think, you know, I I was wrong. I should have done something differently. Right. You know, I should have done that differently or I should have, shouldn't have done this or I should have done this. Um, Not that we should be using shoulds all the time and shooting all over ourselves. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, but the, uh, the experience of, Guilt isn't something necessarily to be avoided where shame mm-hmm. maybe only causes further destructive behavior. Right. And this isn't just in Brene Brown's research, but some other research I was reading was talking about how guilt doesn't necessarily lead to more destructive behavior, but shame often does. Right. Because the feeling of shame is about, I if, if I am this, right. I'm not worthy of love and belonging. I think, I guess we have to try to, we have to first establish, we long for connection, right? right, As people, we long for connection. Right. And if I'm afraid that I did something and now I'm going to lose connection, Mm -hmm. I might try to do something to hide whatever I did. Right. So that way I'm not exposed. Right. So that way, whatever I did isn't discovered. Right. Because I want connection and I'm afraid that if I am discovered to be this thing that I feel like I am. Right. I will not be accepted and won't right. be loved. I won't be worthy of love. Right. I won't be worthy of connection. People will see me differently. They won't like me. They won't hang out with me. I won't have yeah. a place, you know, I won't have a place in society. Yeah. I won't get this job. You know what I mean? I won't get a wife, you know, I won't get a husband, whatever. I won't have a family. All, all of those things. You could trickle down yeah. in, in a bunch of things, all of because of who I am, you know, and it it does cause destructive patterns because you'll notice in any addiction, what keeps you in addiction is shame about your addiction. Right. Uh Right. So the freedom, the freedom from addiction comes from accepting. Okay. Excuse me. I'm addicted to this thing. Right. 
and I, I want to grow out of this addiction right, 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 right. <laughs> and then stepping out of this addiction, but shame and it's, it's tied, that's tied with maybe some, I mean, in a spiritual language, con- condemnation, you know what I mean? Of just being like, oh man, I'm so terrible. This is who I am. I'm always going to do this. Right. I, f- I always mess up. I always go back to the, whatever it is, insert addiction here. Right. And, and living in that shame, actually it, it perpetuates a cycle of destruction of mm-hmm. disconnection. You know what I mean? Cause yeah. you find yourself disconnected from your own self. Right. So there's like, there's like the shame in yourself. And maybe that's from society too. Cause just addiction is like a, a bad thing. Well, in society. Yeah. I think that you can have shame for being addicted to something. Right. If, if within this society, it's bad to be addicted to something, mm-hmm. right? Because shame is about the social environment. Right. It's about my, feeling of whether or not I can belong in this place Mm -hmm. and be accepted. Right. And so if I become addicted to something and I believe that whatever this thing is, is is going to make it so I am no longer loved. I'm no longer lovable. Right. right? I'm no longer worthy of being connected to. Right. Then I became, I would become ashamed of that behavior. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And in that, that's when shame sinks in is in that moment of, Oh no, if people find out, if people knew right. who I am, they wouldn't love me anymore. Yeah. Right? And they wouldn't trust me anymore because I am untrustworthy. Right. And that shame that can creep in keeps us often from being honest and open about it. Right. Right? Because we feel guilty about it and we feel the shame that we're going to be disconnected. Right. And so rather than trying to tell them about it directly we think okay i'm gonna do this i could i could get over it i'll try to solve this on my own right right i'm addicted to this thing but i can do this and so we try to create walls and shelter ourselves from the rest of the world and try to work on our own problems by ourselves. usually ended up going deeper and deeper into the thing we're trying to get over right and all this shame is is isolating us Right. right. So we're afraid of being isolated from community because of this behavior. Right. But the shame is causing us to isolate ourselves. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm not worthy of this thing. I'm not right. even going to try. Right. I am a terrible person. I'm not even going to be around this person right. or these things. You know? Because what you fear is what you manifest. You know what I mean? Or like yeah. what you fear manifest is a very, <laughs> again, <clears throat> maybe a Christian word. But what, but, do you, what you fear, maybe, you you almost bring to be. Right, exactly. And so you you fear disconnection from society, so you end up isolating from society, you yeah, know? Yeah. Or you fear people not loving you, you know, for experiencing that. And so what you create is, I'm an unlovable person, you know what I mean? So yeah. like you, you, or you'll foster relationships that aren't full of love, right? Because mm-hmm, you think mm-hmm. that's actually what you're worthy of. I think it's like that movie, yeah, yeah. another movie for it, uh, <laughs> The Perks of Being a Wallflower or whatever. It's like we accept the love we think we deserve. The yes. teacher tells her that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Because he, he, she's, I think she asked him a question like, why do people get in these like relationships or whatever? And it's a, it's a really cool line. He says, we accept the love we believe we deserve. Yeah. Right? That's deep. That's deep, right? And that's the same thing. That's the same thing with shame. It causes this. It, it's terrible, man. It, it causes this idea and this identity that we create and, and and who we are, and then it causes us to to be to live hidden, right? Yeah, yeah. Because if I, if I if I again, like you said, if I actually show people who I am, if they actually get to know the real me, if they actually see the struggles that I have, the problems that I have, the addictions that I have, you know, what I'm actually facing, what I'm actually thinking, if they actually saw that, they would not accept me. 
right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. and and so we we stay hidden, and that hiddenness creates. Um, yeah, it, well, it creates destruction, but it, it, it creates isolation, it creates loneliness, it creates depression, it creates more anxiety yeah, yeah. and more heaviness. It doesn't actually allow you an outlet to share what you're actually thinking about, what you're actually going through, mm-hmm. you know, what you actually um, are experiencing or addicted to or whatever. And so you're not actually vulnerable with people. And right. so you end up, what happens is you start getting bottled and bottled and bottled and bottled. And then you're living in this constant cycle of like, you know, uh, it's just, yeah. Yeah, and then eventually you'll explode. Totally. Yeah, you implode and then you will explode. implode and explode. <laughs> <laughs> Coming back to the supernova, you become a supernova. You become a supernova. Yeah, when when you live it, when you live in that and in, in that shame, you know. Um, and, and I, I, it's it's a very hard, uh, it's a hard thing to um, to live into it and to to start changing because I think it, I think the healing, and this is uh, partially what Brene Brown says uh, about shame, is is it comes through r- radical vulnerability, right? Mm-hmm. Openness and, and honesty with people. And we don't like that a lot of the time. We are uncomfortable with, with actually accepting our own selves, right? Yeah, right? And that's why we deal with the shame, you know, in the first place because it's like, ah, you know what I mean? And then we have false identities about ourselves that were bad. It comes through a place of like, hey, this is, I'm laying it all out on the table, accept me or not. You know what I mean? Right, right. <laughs> here, it, here it all is. Here's all my garbage. Here's all my trash. Here's all, here's all the str- struggles that I'm having. Here it all is. You, you can look at it. You can cipher through it, whatever. Here it is. Mm-hmm, it's right mm-hmm. on the table, you know? And, um, and a lot of time when we do that, you know, that is the most uncomfortable thing to do, but it's also the most healing thing to do to live in that space of openness because that you know what i mean that cuts off the power that shame has over you to remain in that hidden place yeah yeah it's and she uses the word of armor like we put armor on right, right. so shame the feeling of shame tells us we need to armor up right, right. put on this armor so you're safe so people can't uh, so you won't be hurt so mm-hmm. you can't experience this pain that you're afraid of experiencing right we put we cover ourselves in armor, right? We do all kinds of different things to put armor up. We put we create a facade. We tell a different story. We say we're feeling a certain way when we're really not feeling that way, right? Right. We try to ignore certain feelings that we might have and mm. convince ourselves, oh no, I don't actually feel that. I feel this. I believe in this, right? Even right. though we have is something inside of us that's really hurting. Right. And I just had this picture come to my mind, like if we went, say we have like if I had a really messed up back. Mm-hmm. my back is really hurting. So I had like sore spots and like might see my muscles have all knotted up and mm-hmm. I needed to like go and get a massage. And I was wearing all this armor because, you know, my back was really sore. I didn't like it when anything touched it. Right. So I just keep this armor on my back. Right. Mm-hmm. And if I go in and try to get a massage, they're going to need me to take my armor off. Right. Right. So they can actually get to where the pain is and right. bring healing. Right. Yeah. Because to bring healing through a massage, you have to push on the knots and it hurts sometimes. You're so pastoral, Daryl. But it brings <laughs> but it brings healing and restoration. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Whenever you can actually take the armor off right. and tend to where the pain is. Right. But instead, I think often we try to we just let it fester. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, there's uh, uh my mom is a massage therapist, so she she was a massage therapist. And um me and my younger siblings, we'd like give each other massages all the time when we were little because my mom would practice us on us. She would give us massages. And so I oh, grew up loving massages, mm-hmm. massages. <laughs> and <laughs> it, it, it's always so interesting to me whenever I find somebody who says that they don't like massages. Right. Right. Someone's like, oh, no, I don't like getting a massage. Because it hurts. Because it hurts. Right. 
And so in my mind, I'm thinking, well, it hurts because you need a massage. <laughs> right, right, right. Exactly. You have really bad knots that need to be worked out. And it wouldn't mm-hmm. hurt as much if you had some if you had a massage. Right. And I had a friend when I was in when I was in college, and he was like that. He's like, Oh, I don't like massages. And I was like, Are you sure? I was like, I think you're just really tense. Like, let me work on your shoulder just something for a second and you know, and just sit through it, and I promise you, you're gonna feel better afterwards. Right. And so we were like on a bus because we had to go to like a, a conference that we're serving at. And so I was giving him a, a massage. And at first he's like, oh, no, I don't like it. I don't like it. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know, like really uncomfortable. But eventually he actually would, he actually asked for massages later on, you know, after right. he was used to it, after mm. he kind of felt massages, like, oh my gosh, that actually did help. I actually right. feel better. Thank you. And he became more open to having massages. Right. But he was so uh, against it and averse to it because it hurt when it got touched. Mm. Right. And so vulnerability is is that it's allowing the pain that we're experiencing to be exposed right so it can be healed right because we try to cover it up we try mm-hmm. to no no don't touch it it's fine it's fine no don't worry about it no right, 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 right. i'm good right, right like right. oh no i'm good yeah but it's the experience of actually saying you know what? i'm actually not good yeah that one mm-hmm. brings healing mm-hmm. and brings connection right because it's the vulnerable moments that build relationships Right. Right. That's what increases intimacy. Yeah. The connection that we have with one another. Right. The moments that we decide to show up and be vulnerable when it's scary and when it's hard. Right. Because shame will tell us all these, all make up all these stories as to why we shouldn't tell them. Right. Oh, I shouldn't tell them because they're not going to want to see me anymore. I shouldn't tell them because they're not going to accept me. I shouldn't tell them because I'm going to be kicked out of this, you know, the friend group or whatever. They're going to be angry at me. They're going to be angry at me. It's going to cause so much trouble. So we continue to live this pseudo relationship, right. you know, kind of like community of projections, uh, right. our third episode. We just project something that we think people are going to accept, right. but we are not actually accepted. Right. And the relationship that we have is not actually authentic. Right. Yeah. And, and, and it is a scary thing um, to do that. You can. L- well, let me say this first. You can live that way. <laughs> yeah. You know I mean, and he can live with the knots. In right. His right. Back. Right. Right. With, yeah. Without you massaging him. But it's totally. so much better when it's like, oh, my gosh, I didn't even realize that I had all this tension inside me. And then it's like it kind of hurt for a while. But now my muscles are used to it. You know what I mean? And it's, yeah. it's something that you actually work on to get more and more uh, open and vulnerable with people. But again, coming back to this thing, and this is something I'm, I'm learning a lot more. You, you have to be open to the full spectrum of life in order to experience in other words, in order to experience the fullness of joy, you have to experience the fullness of, of pain. <laughs> of pain. Yeah. Right. And right. and you have to experience hurt in order to experience hope. You know what I mean? Like you you have to experience the full spectrum of life. We have been given life in in wholeness and totality. Mm-hmm. Jesus comes and he says, "I have come to give you life uh, to the full, life abundantly." Yeah. You know what I mean? And I don't think that just means like all of the good stuff and none of the bad stuff. Right. I think right. it means that we actually get to experience life in the full. Um, with with all of it, right? With the, 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 the yeah, I don't know how many times I'm going to say this in a different way, but, <laughs> but 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 what I mean by is it is is actually stepping into that because when you when you share with somebody, hey, who you actually are, you may be received with disconnection, right? Right. You yeah. may be received where they're like, "Are you kidding me? 
Uh, like, you know what I mean? Like, I can't hang out with you. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. or I don't want to be. And, and that really is our fear because we stay as far away as we can from pain and from disconnection and from hurt in our lives. Right. right. And so actually getting vulnerable and taking off the armor. What is that? What is vulnerable? It means you're vulnerable to attack. It means you're yeah. vulnerable to disconnection. To it means you're vulnerable hurt. to the yeah. words of others, to the to the uh, decisions of others that may be harmful. Right. And so we don't want to live like that because we want to protect ourselves as much as we can from the pain of life, especially in shame's sense, most often the time in, in social pain. Right? right. Yeah. But 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 in being vulnerable, you have to be open to being hurt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and we don't often like that, but that's how we live full. Because if we are open to being hurt, oftentimes, probably, uh, you know, I mean, especially if you're in a good community, 90% of the time you open up, you know, with yourself and you're like, hey, this is what I'm struggling with. This is what I'm going through. This is what I actually think about this. And people celebrate that, right? Yeah, it's, like, it's worth celebrating. It's like, and a lot of time people will be like, oh, you too? You know, like yeah, that was yeah. actually healing for me. Your vulnerability actually is healing for them and, and what they've been hiding and feeling like they can't feel as well. So you have to be open to hurt in order to be open to to the good, the hope, the joy, the peace, all of that stuff. You yeah. Know? And, and, and that's what vulnerability yeah. does. Yeah. And yeah. I don't want to, I don't think we should, you know, we're not painting a picture that if you're vulnerable all the time, everything is going to go well. No. Because sometimes we can be vulnerable and it could go bad. We might have disconnection. You know, maybe we share something with somebody and they are really upset. And people or people take advantage or of us. Or they take advantage of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or they want they don't want the vulnerability. Right. And so they're uncomfortable and right. they leave the relationship. Right. Right. And it's not always that being vulnerable will lead to uh, immediate connection with the person you're being vulnerable with. Right. Because sometimes... Uh, it takes time for there to be healing if it's something right. against somebody else, right? right? Um, and I think what matters more than that is that you become a healthier person by practicing vulnerability, right? Which means even if certain relationships don't work out because you were vulnerable and they decided not to honor that and they didn't respect it, or it was it was you know some a bad experience. You, as one practicing vulnerability, can build stronger relationships. Right. If you are in a place where you're comfortable right. with that, and obviously, you know, we're not talking specifically about vulnerability right now and healthy vulnerability because there are boundaries, there are healthy ways to right. to open up and to disclose information, um, and there are times when it could be good to, and it could be better not to to certain people, and right. uh, but the practice of being willing to take down some of armor, take down our armor with right. safe people, right. right? I think that's important to emphasize with safe people, mm-hmm. generally with safe people who love and accept us whenever we open up to them, right. they're going to love and accept us. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And if they don't, that might not be a good relationship in the first place. <laughs> that's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. It might not be a relationship that you want to be in. Right. If you're, if you can't be honest with things. Right. Um, and it's not, not as an excuse to just, you know, word vomit everything, but right. you want to have safe people you can open up to. Right. And in those moments, it feels very risky, mm-hmm. right? It feels scary. We have all these outcomes in our mind of what could happen. Right. But there are so many times 
in my own life, when I chose to be vulnerable Mm -hmm. with safe people and it was the most healing thing that I've done. Right. And it was a restorative thing. Right. Right. Met with way more acceptance and grace than I thought it would be. And it even creating more connection. Right. Rather than the disconnection that I was fearing. Right. So when we can practice this and it takes courage, you know, and bravery to do that, practice it with safe people. It furthers and benefits our relationships. The thing that we're afraid of losing can actually become so much stronger. Right. Right. The connection, the fear of disconnection that it goes in the opposite direction so often. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Uh-huh. And it's not something that we, it's not that it's not worth being afraid of because, you know, there is a risk. Right. We don't necessarily know, you know, I mean, you can't predict the future. Right. But it takes a level of courage and of trust that this other person sees you mm-hmm. and loves you. Right. Right. And it's better to live like that and, and be hurt than live isolated and lonely yeah. and never making genuine connections with people right. and never seeing uh, the good in people. Cause what happens is when you get into that silo too of shame, you start actually creating different things of other people that aren't even true as well. Right. Like that person would never accept me or like, they yeah. don't even like love me or like, you know what I mean? They're doing this wrong. You know what I mean? But it's all, that all comes from shame. Like all that judgment of, of other uh-huh, people uh-huh. or, or, you know, shifting blame and stuff off. Often all of that stuff is from feeling like there is a problem with you. You know what I mean? Right. The the world that you see is a mirror of yourself. Yeah. Right? So That's good. Oh, that is good. Yeah. Did you get that from somewhere? <laughs> no, I made that up. That's good. Yeah. Um, but but this is, or maybe my counselor told me. I don't know. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I just want to take credit for myself. No, but uh, yeah, the, the world you see is, is going to reflect what's going on inside of you. Yeah, yeah. Right? So the relationships, if you are closed off because of shame, if you are, um, you know, ashamed of yourself, you think that yourself, that you are wrong, that you are bad, that there's something wrong with you, guess what you're going to see in other people? what's wrong in them, you Uh know, how they're bad, how they make mistakes, Mm -hmm. how they mess up. Why? Because you're seeing them through your own lens of how you feel about yourself. Jesus says this. He says, he says, um, judge not lest ye be judged, Mm -hmm. you know? And I kind of read that, you know, well, one, two, like, you know, don't judge people because, you know, the only judgment comes from God, you know, but also in another like psychological way, the judgment that you pronounce is the judgment that's already inside of you. Why is there, you know, crazy, <laughs> crazy Christians that say, you know, hellfire and brimstone or whatever, because they actually believe that about God and they probably judge themselves really harshly in how they live. Right. No right. one like gets to that point where they're just like, wow, God, you just like accept me and love me. And they're like, and you're damned. You know, what I mean, <laughs> you know? Right. No, no one really gets, you know what I mean? Yeah, to yeah. there, if they've received like the, the grace of God, because we love because he first loved us, we could have grace for people because he had grace for us. We can, you know, not judge people because he's not judging us. We can not mm-hmm. condemn people because he's not condemning us all of those things right so whatever's inside of you so so it affects all of these 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 different things you know like what's going on inside of you how you're seeing other people how you're seeing yourself and so uh, along with vulnerability and i think this uh this other thing helps vulnerability is is radically accepting yourself and being okay being where you're at and, and this has helped me a lot because when I get unhealthy, I go straight into perfectionist mode mm-hmm. and I have a tendency to focus on what I'm not rather than the good that I'm doing or what I'm growing into. 
and and that can cause a significant uh, amount of shame about yeah. the the thoughts that I feel still or, or I'm sorry the thoughts that I think still or the feelings that I still have about things or maybe the things that I still do wrong you know what I mean yeah those things can create a shame of like oh I can't believe I'm still living into these things right and I have a tendency to focus on where I'm not you know when I get unhealthy at least and um and so radically accepting yourself is really important for shame you know what i mean and not isolating because if you can accept yourself then you can present yourself to somebody else even if they don't accept you it's like well i accept myself you know what i mean yeah. and furthermore even stronger than that it, god accepts me you know so so that yeah. that radical acceptance and being present with the th current thoughts the current reality the current addictions the current you know what i mean the current sins the current you know whatever space that you're in right now confront those things you know, and this is another thing that Brene Brown's, or he, she quotes somebody, uh, um, and this is in her book, Dare to Lead, but, and I may be daring greatly as well, but it says, the cave that you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek, right? Mm -hmm. So the, the, and I kind of take that as the feelings that you fear to actually feel, right? Or the thoughts that you, that you're afraid to get up close to, right? Those things actually can uncover who you are, right? Like, yeah, it's yeah. like... And I had this um, this dream a little while a little while ago where um, in in the dream uh, this dark sheet I guess it wasn't a dream because I was like awake so I guess a, a vision of sorts <laughs> um, but this this dark cloud you know came over over top of me and and it was like it was like this black sheet and it just kind of um, came came right over my body and uh, and I like pierced through it like almost like a, a hot butter going or a hot butter <laughs> hot butter going through a knife. <laughs> Yeah, hot knife going through butter, and I, and I pierced, I pierced through it, and it was like it was very strange, you know. And I felt like God actually spoke to me in that moment and said, um, and said, the darkness can only show you that you're light. And it was mm -hmm. like, whoa, that's crazy, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and to me, what that what that meant to me is is the the shame that I enter into, those feelings of shame, those feelings of darkness, those things that I'm afraid of that are actually inside of me. If I actually get up close to those things and embrace those things and accept those things inside myself, I'll realize, whoa, that's not who I am anyway. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. The, those, those fears, right. I, you know, we, we have a culture today that says what you think and what you feel is who you are. And I, I disagree with that incredibly right yeah. <laughs> right and, and so and so we're oftentimes afraid of of the sh of the things that we do the things that we you know think the things that we feel or whatever we're we're afraid of those and we're ashamed of those because we think it's who we are yeah we're afraid of being that we're afraid of being that yeah. yeah so if you radically accept yourself and say man that actually is inside of me you know what I mean? That bad thought is inside of me. You know what I mean? That bad action, I did do that. You know what I mean? Right. And you own up to what you think. You, because what we do is we try and run away. This is us over here. And we're running away from all of the all of the shame, all of the fear, all of the guilt, all of the condemnation, all of this stuff. So we're so we're running away, but and then in running away, it just follows us for the rest of our lives. But what yeah. happens is when you actually stop running and you turn towards it. Right. And allow that stuff to sit with you. And this is the dark cloud analogy. You know what I mean? Yeah, you start yeah. to come out of that. And you start to see the truth of it. And you're like, whoa, I'm actually good. Those thoughts actually aren't me. I actually don't care about that. I actually don't want to do that again. I'm actually good. You know, <laughs> yeah, you know? And, yeah. And that and that is a hard thing to do along with vulnerability because it takes intense, incredible uncomfortability and openness to be hurt and maybe find out truths 
You know what I mean? Yeah, that you're yeah. afraid of, you know? And that reminded me of, a, of a, another study that was done. And whenever we feel that we've done something wrong, right? We want to do something, the right thing, mm-hmm. right? We, if we feel like we've done something wrong, we think, oh, I should do it different. Or mm-hmm. I want to do it this way next time. If we believe I am something wrong, then we don't think we can do it a different way. Right. You right, know, right. Tony Robbins says that we act congruent with who we believe we are, mm-hmm. who we believe that we are. So if I think I'm this way, I'm more likely to actually continue to act that way. Right. And the study that was done um, at a college campus where they're, the researchers told the students that they're just, they're doing something and they're going to try to see how many cheaters are, how common cheaters are on campus. Whoa. Right. Um, and a test. This is about like tests and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then there was uh, another group of students where they said, we're going to see how common cheating is on campus. Whoa. So they changed the word from cheaters and identity, right? To cheating, right? Cheaters is a noun. That's a, that's right. a title. Right. Cheating is a verb. It's an action. Right. Right. So what they found was in this group of students who, who, who were involved with the word cheating, where the word cheating was used, the verb, the action, they actually were more likely to cheat. Wow. The group where the researchers said, we're looking to see how common cheaters are on campus. They were less likely to cheat because it was a You mean soci- cheating? The no. one without shame or the one? No, the one about cheaters. The one that's tied to more of an identity. Oh. If the group of students were told that they were looking for cheaters, they were less likely to cheat mm. because they didn't want to be associated with being a cheater. Right. But if it was just about seeing how common cheating is, they thought I can cheat and that's okay. Right. right? I'm not a cheater. I just cheated. Right. 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 So this idea, this idea of identity being so closely tied to our feeling of shame. Right. Right. It's about, I am this. Yeah. And uh, Brene Brown poses the question, is it more helpful to change behavior by tying someone's identity to something they've done? Right. Or is it less helpful? Because right. if we're telling them that this is what they are, right, then they're less likely to change. You're a liar. Exactly. You're a cheater. You're a liar. You're a cheater. You're a murderer. They're more likely to behave that way, right? If that's who right. they are, why would they be any different? Yeah. But if we were to separate them from their action, the behavior is more likely to actually change. If right. they want, if they themselves wanted to change, right? If they thought they were a cheater they were less likely to stop cheating. You know what I mean? Right. But if they thought that, you know, they cheat sometimes and they thought, well, maybe I shouldn't cheat. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, it was easier for them to change the behavior. Right. Because it wasn't tied to their identity. Right. To this fear of, I'm going to be seen this way. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, you could see it when something is tied to our, your identity, you probably want to do it less, right? Because the feeling of that actually being who you are is a really scary thing. Right, you I know? don't want to be these, and things. it's it's funny yeah. that they did cheat less, but I it's probably not. It's like uh, uh, Brene Brown said, it's not the most helpful motive to not cheat, right? You know, yeah. <laughs> to to say, well, if I if I cheat, then I then I am a cheater, and that I'm going to be wrong, and like people are going to look at me differently, and I'm not going to be accepted, and I'm going to fail at school. You know what I mean? Like all that different kind of stuff. Like I don't want to do good because of the shame of being bad. Yeah, right. <laughs> trying to avoid the bad thing. Right, exactly. Yeah. And this is this is often how we train up children. And I've kind of been, I mean, I don't have a kid, so I'm not 
you know, in it. So I, I can't speak into it too much as far as like what should be done, you know, um, just cause I don't have that experience, but, but what I've seen and what I've been kind of learning is, is we do that a lot with kids, you know what I mean? In order, in order to, um, we train them that like to feel bad about something that they did so that they don't do it again. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Or Shame that, that it could get tied to your actual identity so that they don't. And so we, we try and, you know, use those tactics, um, um, to get them to change their behavior, right? And like we read in the study before we started, um, that if if kids grow up in that, they're more likely to continue those patterns yeah. of shame and guilt into their adult lives. Yeah. And oftentimes, the the only reason that we do good <laughs> is because we don't want to feel bad. Right, yeah. <laughs> and instead of actually believing that something is good and valuing integrity, valuing honesty, valuing, um, you know, safety, I, I don't know what another one is, I can't think right now, you know, instead of valuing those things, we just, uh, our value kind of gets limited by our desire not to feel shame and right. to be ostracized by people. Mm-hmm. But but living out that, it, it usually just perpetuates a, a falseness about who we are, yeah. right? Because the things that we do aren't actually based in what we actually believe. They're based in fear, right? Yeah. So you actually start changing your behavior um, out of fear, out of not wanting to feel shame instead of actually, whoa, inside of me, I feel that this is right. You know, right. yeah, I, yeah. I want to do this. And so you have a bunch of people living by um, maybe values that aren't their own, you know, or, or just trying to run away from, from bad feelings, right. And doing things according to that, but they're not actually genuinely that way. And you see this a lot in the church. I think this is a big reason why there is a lot of hypocrisy in churches that you see today is because often, and there is an aspect to changing, you know, your behavior and living like Christ, but, but the way that we do it, (laughs) the way that we're, uh, at least I wasn't necessarily, no one would actually tell you like use shame to change, you know, <laughs> to change. Like no one actually say that. But the idea that I got growing up in church was if I feel bad enough about something, you know, then I'll change my behavior. Shame to change. Shame to change. Yeah. Right. Instead of falling in love with God so much and him mm-hmm. actually changing my heart and that being the reason that I change. Yeah. That being the reason that I make a different decision, not because I'm trying to run away from disconnection with God or disconnection with my Christian community or disconnection with myself, but because I've actually been transformed to believe that loving people is valuable, that not yeah. stealing is valuable, that not cheating is valuable, right? Mm-hmm. That taking care of the poor is valuable, right? And so I start to actually really become a person that lives according to those values rather than somebody running away from condemnation and the judgment of hell if i don't get my life together yeah right and 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 that could be oh boy (laughs) yeah Yeah. that's good yeah um there's one last thing that i wanted to say that that came to mind i think right before we started recording but shame so we're talking about fear and fear being an innate response right so it's kind of like an automatic response to a situation that we want to avoid or get Mm -hmm. out of Shame um, is a response, an automatic response to keep us connected. Ultimately, that's why we feel shame is because we want to stay connected to people. Right. Right. So we lie about something. We try to cover something up. 
and this experience of shame is a tool to try to keep us connected to people. Mm. And ultimately it's a subpar tool and it leads to brokenness so often and destructive behaviors and more behaviors that we feel ashamed of. Right. And, uh, usually leads to disconnection. Right. And when we feel bad about something like this feeling of guilt, we don't have to feel shame about it. Right. Right. Shame is a response where it says, I feel bad about this. If somebody knows about this, then they're going to find out and then I'm not going to be accepted anymore. I'm not going to be loved. I'm not going to be cared for. Right. goes right? way too far. Yeah. So this feeling of guilt is okay. Right. We do something we think, oh, you know what? Next time I want to do that different. Right. Rather than going to shame in that moment, we can go to vulnerability. And it's that moment of feeling bad about something that we decide how we're going to move forward. Right. right. Are we going to let shame sit in and try to cover this up and be afraid that if anybody finds out, they're not going to love us, not going to care about us and try to do that thing that feels safe, but in the long run is damaging and it's destructive. Yeah. Or in that moment when we think, you know what? I messed up. We can choose vulnerability, show up with honesty. Right. And allow ourselves to be seen so that we have the opportunity to actually be connected. And to be actually accepted. be accepted, mm-hmm. to actually be loved. Right. Right. And the, uh, in her studies, she talks about people who lived wholeheartedly, Brené Brown right. and Darren Greatly. She says that the people who lived wholeheartedly. So the, uh, these are people that she, she dubbed that, um, title for them because the way that they lived, um, was lived out of their whole entire being, right? They lived wholeheartedly. The thing that they had in common was that they all were convinced that they were loved and lovable, mm. that they were accepted and worthy of love by at least one person. Right. And that allowed them to live wholeheartedly, to be wow. vulnerable, to be honest, to be courageous. Wow. But the people who who, who um, struggled with shame were the ones who were questioning that. Right. Whether or not they are actually worthy of love. Right. And in that moment of guilt, we don't need to tie that to our identity. Yeah. Right. And instead of choosing shame and falling into shame, the kind of automatic response, we can choose vulnerability to move toward deeper connection. Right. Right. To move toward further connection. Yeah. And so in those moments, I mean, I want to be more aware of that in my own life. Yeah. <laughs> when I do something I'm like, oh, dang it. <laughs> I, I can have an automatic response to things. Oh my gosh, right. if this person's going to think this, this person's going to think this. Right. I'm going to, I'm just going to try to avoid it. I won't say anything or, right. you know, I'm going to just wait. Maybe they'll, maybe it'll be brought up another way. Right. And when it gets brought up another way, usually it's more damaging than if I were just to bring it up. Right. right directly. Yeah. And this feeling of shame is so sneaky the way that it works. Right? right. It's like, well, maybe it's okay if you don't say anything, you know? Right. Right. But in that moment when I'm like, oh, I did the wrong thing. I have the opportunity to choose to be vulnerable, right. to, to make the courageous decision, to show up, to be honest, and to pursue connection right. in those moments. Right. right. So those moments of guilt are opportunities for deeper connection. Mm. They, don't, they don't have to be opportunities to lose connection, opportunities to, to be disconnected and unlovable. Right. right. They don't have to be connected to our identity. Yeah. To but, perpetuate a lie. They yeah, they perpetuate. Yeah, exactly. Those moments of feeling bad about something actually can be a catalyst for deeper connection. Right. Yeah. I love that. The, the fear of disconnection 
keeps you from the possibility of acceptance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The possibility. Truly accepted. Yeah. And and that, that's what it really does. It's, it's this tool that we use to not be disconnected that causes disconnection. Mm -hmm. And we talk a lot about those double agent things. Shame is one of those tricky. He's a tricky one. It's a tricky one. (laughs) You know, it's one of those double agents that says, if you hide, if you don't tell, if you just remain, you know, yeah, in that hidden space, no one will find out and you remain connected with people and they won't, you know, I mean, they won't reject you, but really it does the exact opposite, right? Mm-hmm. Because you never allow yourself the, the privilege of someone knowing you and seeing you mm-hmm. in all of the crap, you know what I mean? Cause it's like, it's one thing to be accepted cause you're just a rock star. You know what I mean? You're an all-star, Yeah. but when they see all the junk and they say like, yes, <laughs> right, you know, you're like, oh, when, when, oh. yeah, it's like, it's a breath of fresh air. I was gonna say that earlier. It's just like, oh my gosh, are you serious? You know what I mean? And yeah. and I've been asking myself, you know, the question: Are, are you sure? You know, right. you know, you know, it's like yeah. you really mean it. You you accept me with all the the junk that goes on inside my mind and and all the things that I do to escape and and all these things. You really accept me? It's like, uh, yeah, you're safe. And it's like, oh. you know, what I mean, there's yeah. there's this there's this lightness that comes when you step into that vulnerability and you open yourself up both for the opportunity to be hurt <laughs> yeah but also and more likely you know what i mean for the opportunity to be to be loved and accepted on because i think uh i think most people would want the same for themselves you know what yeah. i mean to mm-hmm. to be able to you know share with somebody and then um and be accepted in that moment and and guess what if the person doesn't they're probably dealing with their own shame you know, yeah, yeah. they're probably dealing with their own stuff. You know, it's like if if they hold that against you and start making tallies of how many times you messed up and, and put you to shame and all these different kinds of things. Like I said earlier, they're just mirroring what they feel in themselves and they're treating, mm-hmm. you know, they're treating you how they're treating themselves. So even you can have compassion and grace on that person. You know what I mean? Yeah. Even in that moment, knowing, hey, this person has probably struggles with shame too. You know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe I should go to somebody and, and talk to somebody that deals with with a little bit more uh, compassion and mercy, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, and I think there's one final thing I want to say too, is like, is, is with God, you know, I think, um, you know, Adam and Eve in, in the beginning, you know, in the garden, they, they sin, uh, they eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and God comes looking for them. It says that they were ashamed and they covered up, you know, and that could be like equivalent to Brene Brown's idea of putting on armor. Right. right? Yeah, yeah. That they had to clothe themselves. They were ashamed at their vulnerability. They were ashamed at their nakedness. They were ashamed at their exposure, that they were open. They were conscious of themselves. And so what did they do? They ran, they clothed themselves, um, and they hid from God. And then God comes in the garden. And he comes looking for them, which I think is such a beautiful picture of the actual gospel of God's heart towards us is that all the time that we're running in shame of who we are or who we might be because of shame, God is running after us. He's mm-hmm. walking after us. He's asking, where are you? I, you know, I, I want to still have a connection with you. And, and I think the beautiful thing with shame too is because people's responses to you are going to vary 
Oh, like, you know, depending on the person, depending on the situation, depending on what time of month day that you reach them, if they had a <laughs> yeah. good day or a mm-hmm. bad day, their responses to your vulnerability or towards you being your authentic self is going to fluctuate. But the beautiful thing about relationship with God is that that doesn't fluctuate. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I can go at any moment in any time and connect and not feel shame before the father because one, he already knows every bit of darkness that could right. possibly yeah. be inside me, every addiction, every lie, every everything. He already knows that stuff. And he's already said yes to me, right? So a lot of times it's a question in our minds if someone's gonna be like, yes, I accept you. Right. But with yeah. God, it's, yeah. it's something different. It, you can go in knowing that you've already received a yes, right? Mm-hmm. That you've already been accepted, that your shame has already been done away with because of what you know Jesus did on the cross. And, and I think that's like, I think that's really powerful because if you start to live from that place of acceptance, knowing that you're always valued, that you're always accepted, that you're always, you know what I mean? You're always seen, you're always loved. That's what you're going to manifest in all of your your relationships, yeah. you know, because the the relationship you get from here, vertical, you know what I mean, is going to affect the horizontal relationships in your life, you know? Yes. Um, so to not let anything get in the way of those or pervert your mind to think that that's not God's heart for you as well. And uh, if you are listening to this and you think that's God's heart towards you to put shame on you and to, you know, be a taskmaster and make you heavy and tell you all the things that you're doing wrong, you know, get off. I'll, I'll step off my... Uh, what is it called? Soapbox. Now. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. but there is no, there is no shame that we have to be afraid of with God. And that gives no. us courage yeah. to be yes. bold, to be vulnerable, uh, to accept ourselves. And then, yeah, to be vulnerable with other people so that we can receive acceptance and, and that connection with others as well. Yeah. yeah super good. That's good. Dang. <laughs> that was a good podcast. You guys know it. <laughs> <laughs> oh man oh. you guys are awesome thanks for joining us on episode 11 of your brain on god 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 god, 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 god. make god. sure to follow us on spotify itunes youtube your brain on god on instagram uh yeah we'll we'll be back next week for you guys uh for the fourth part of our fear series which uh we don't know what it's going to be about yet but we love you guys yeah <laughs> love you guys mucho love mucho be gracias mucho Gordo, bless you. <laughs> Peace out. Peace out.